Thank you for listening to this Calvary Aurora Bible study with Pastor Ed Taylor. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Amen. Turn your Bibles, if you would, open them to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. One of my favorite men in all the Bible is this prophet by the name of Elijah. That's how chapter 1 of our 17 verse 1 opens up. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Elijah the Tishbite said to Ahab, and it's true. Ahab, as we learned in our study last time, was the most wicked king to date. If you just look back in verse 30 of chapter 16, now Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord, and I circled the word, more than all who were before him. Now think of that in our own day. I don't think we have the kind of leadership like Ahab in our country, although some might agree or disagree with that. I don't think we have this level of evil in leadership. Even though it's not as bad as in time in Ahab, I think it's possible for us to see that we're living in troubling times in our own country, in our own lives, in our own world. I don't say that to alarm you. I'm not trying to exaggerate, but I'm sharing with you as a man, as a fellow brother in the Lord, as a dad, as a grandparent, as a pastor, as a friend, like the world in which you live in is crazy, upside down. It seems as if it's more upside down than any other time in history. And we've seen in history some crazy times and difficult times. In our day and age, there's a rise in terrorism, there's sexual confusion, perversion, there's economic craziness, there's oppression of most of the population in poverty, there's political turmoil, the effects of what social media has done on our generation is yet to be seen in future generations. If the coming of the Lord doesn't happen soon, they're going to do studies of the time before social media and after social media, and I believe what they'll find will be shocking how it changed literally people's minds and thoughts and how they act and how they communicate. We live in a culture that is more narcissistic that seems like in any other time in history, more self-centered, more, more hurtful, more slanderous. And yet at the same time, it's like when the Proverbs describes the adulterous woman where she goes in and has sex with a man and just wipes her lips and says it's okay. I mean, I see that in so many different ways in our culture where people, even so-called believers, are caught up in the worst of the grievous lifestyles of sin and they just wipe their mouth and say it's okay. Now, as things get darker in any generation... Because this is a time here in 1 Kings 17 of a dark time. It's the worst time of any of the kings thus far. So that means it's getting progressively worse. And now Ahab, it says, is the worst of any other king before him. So it's a bad time and it's getting worse. And it's in dark times 
when so many around the world are not turning back to their creator, not repenting of sin, not humbling themselves, but still resisting and rebelling against the love of God. Recently, there was a big story in the news, something shocking. Can't believe it's happening the way it was reported. There's a Bible study going on in Washington, D.C., and some politicians are attending it. And the world's flipping out. And in one of the quotes, I jotted it down, the one of the quotes of somebody saying, I can't believe there's a Bible study going on in the White House. And I can't believe people, prominent politicians are going to the Bible study and somebody described it and I quote, they're taking us back to the Stone Ages. That's your world. It's not Ahab's world, it's your world. Taking us back to the Stone Ages. Which isn't in any way an accurate statement on many different levels. No doubt a college educated person said that. The product of our educational system, able to separate themselves from reality. I suspect after I got over the initial shock, although it's not so shocking anymore, but after, after I got over the initial shock, I began to pray for this person. Because you know, if this person isn't hurting already, he will be. If he hasn't faced some significant trial, in their, he will. If he hasn't been under the influence of alcohol and out of control, most likely it'll happen. If he hasn't been betrayed yet, it'll happen. If he hasn't had some significant loss yet, it's coming. And yet, this person's positioned himself against the very God that could help. Taking a, a role in society to to view godly men and women coming together for a Bible study, to pray together, to pray for our country, to pray for our nation, to, to pray for our cities. It reminds me, you can just jot it down, but it reminded me of a passage in Revelation chapter six with all the judgments coming down and you would think after so many judgments and so much difficulty, there would just be mass repentance. It's just, I can't believe God, we're sorry. We are sorry, we don't want it anymore. But instead the Bible says that in uh, Revelation 6, 15, the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And yet we know as we study the Bible and as we examine history that God uses dark times. He uses dark times in our personal lives. He uses dark times in our country. He uses dark times in our families in order to get our attention, to draw our attention heavenward. Dark times, difficult times are used so often to open our hearts to receive his personal message sent by his personal messengers. Listen, I know that there are some of you sitting in this room right now that if it wasn't for the difficulty you've been experiencing, you wouldn't be in church. I know that someone listening on the radio right now that not too long ago, there's no way in the world you would have ever thought you'd be listening to a Christian radio station, listening to men teach the Bible, but it was that dark time that caused you to ask for some kind of help, to seek some kind of help. Why? Because God uses dark times. 
and difficult times. It's often a a channel right to the very heart of the matter in a person's life. And Elijah the Tishbite is one of these messengers that shows up at the darkest time of the kings to date. He just comes up on the scene. It says in verse 33 of chapter 16, Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho, laid his foundation with Abiram, his firstborn. And with his youngest son, Segub, he set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun, and Elijah, the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab. That's when he shows up. One of the darkest times in Israel's history. He arrives during the reign of Ahab the northern kingdom, Israel's seventh king. Idolatry and rebellion surround and abound in these dark times. The the nation has completely turned their back on God in a wholesale way. He's been replaced with weird sexual false worship of Baal and Asherah. You, You would walk into the nation and wonder what has happened to a nation that once followed God? What has happened? I'll tell you what's happened. The leadership abandoned God. Because leadership is everything. Those that God puts in place to be examples. Generally, we follow the examples that we choose to follow. (laughs) And we are prone to the flesh. And so if we have bad examples put before us, there's a good chance that we may just choose that. And then it catches on. And before you know it, it's completely sold out to paganism. But the good news is that Elijah brings the truth to a dark time. And the reality, of course, is that in the darkest of times, even the least bit of light is a good thing, let alone a man like Elijah coming with a strong, courageous, bold message of truth. And we're reminded today maybe in the dark time, in the difficult time that you're waiting on the Lord with, is that God will always raise up someone to speak the truth when times get dark and darker. That's his pattern. Now, it it may not seem like there are many people around you that love God. And it may not seem like things are going your way. You may feel even alone and isolated in your faith, in your commitment You may feel as if nobody understands you and some are even coming against you. You may even conclude that you're the only one. You're not alone. Because later on in our study in Elijah, he's gonna say the same thing. This strong man used greatly of the Lord goes through a time of discouragement and depression where he's complaining to God, I'm the only one. And that's how he felt. It's what it looked like. That's for a study at a different time as you see how God tenderly, gently, but firmly tells his servant the truth that he's not the only one. Well, let's just get a sneak peek. Why don't don't we turn to chapter 19? We won't go into depth in it, but chapter 19. Here's Elijah after great victory, after God uses him in an incredible way. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. This is 1914. 1914, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. 
I alone am left and they seek to take my life. And what is God's answer? Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel of all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, every mouth that's not kissed him. Here, Elijah feels like he's alone and God says, there's 7,000 more people that are with you, Elijah. People following you. I like this in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 19. It says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. There's even a song that's sung. And while King Ahab and Jezebel, his wife, thought that they could continue to rule over the people by rejecting God in false worship, God sent a messenger to tell Ahab, you need to repent. Your reign is not gonna last. That God sees everything that's going on, Ahab. And this man's name is Elijah. Notice in verse one, if you wanna circle it, you can circle the word Elijah, and his name means my God is Yahweh. My God is Jehovah. And, and it's a beautiful scene because Ahab has been leading this, this country, this nation, this nation under God. He's been leading him as if there is no God. Baal is your God. Asherah is your God. And God sends him a man with his name that says, no, my God is Yahweh. Ahab, you worship Baal and Asherah, but I'm sending you Elijah, the man that says, God is my God. <laughs> We're told in verse one that he's a Tishbite. A Tishbite. Sounds interesting, but it describes the area that he came from. And he came from an area in the Bible that's known as Gilead, from the Jordan River, on east of the Jordan River. It's a rough and rugged area, probably a place where they put an REI there, and a lot of outdoor, rough type of living. And Elijah was no 70 pound weakling. He was a rough and rugged man, perhaps even like John the Baptist. He was dynamic, we'll see, a miracle working prophet of God. I mean, Elijah, he prays down fire. He prays down fire from heaven. Have you ever felt like doing that? Yes or no? Don't tell me. I don't want to know. I mean, everybody on I-25 has had that thought. I mean, we, we just, man, he was able to bring down fire from heaven. He prayed for rain to stop. He prayed for rain to start. He was used to raise a boy from the dead. He worked miracles. I mean, the Lord used him in super incredible ways. And this is where we need to pause for a moment in Elijah's life and set the scene for him because Elijah, Elijah teaches us a lesson. Teaches us a lesson not just by observation, but actually the Bible says it, and we'll get to that in a second. And, and here's just a reminder for us, uh, a reminder for everyone that feels like the 70 pound weakling or feels like you're not the strongest believer that you wanna be or feels like you're never gonna overcome this or you're never gonna get through that and wondering if God will use you, if God wants to use you, remember this, Everyone that God uses is normal and ordinary, just like us. Or I could say just like you and just like me. There is nothing super extraordinary about Elijah or about you or me. I mean, it's also good to pause here in relationship to how you connect with your pastor 
whether it's in this church or you're in another fellowship. Your pastor, the pastoral team, the elders of your church are not superheroes. They're not cut from a different cloth. They were born like you were born. They came into the world like you came into the world. In our own movement in particular, most of us that have been entrusted to ministry came from very rough, difficult, if it wasn't for the Lord, we wouldn't be alive type of backgrounds. Many of us, our lives were so backwards, and I can speak for myself, my life was so backwards and torn apart by sin that that I wasn't able to go to school to study like in seminary or Bible college. And that, that's when there, there are times where there's a big gasp and you go, wait a minute, Ed, you're a pastor and you didn't go to seminary? What are you doing up there? I don't know. <laughs> God is just so gracious. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. And I'm just so grateful that I could be used. Because if my life would not have been backwards and knowing my temperament and knowing the kind of person I am, I would have been a professional student. I love school so much. I'm just one of those guys that loves school. And I'm one of those guys that can study the night before for a test. The ones you got mad at all the time. That's how I got into so much trouble. I would mess around all week and then I'd just study for the test. And go in and ace it and not remember anything that I studied. And that got me into a lot of trouble and started backwards. And Hey, man, if you're able to go to seminary, do it. If, if that's the Lord's will for you, if you're able to go to Bible college, do it. I did take a few classes in Bible college before I moved out here and in the church that I was in. It was a Bible school back then. And then right when they converted it to a Bible college, I went in and asked for permission. I said, I took all the same classes, all the same teachers, and now it was the Bible school when I did it. Now it's the Bible college. Can you please transfer my credits? And the answer was no. Okay, thank you very much. I waited for a new director to come on. And when the new director came in, I went in and I said, I told him my story. Here's all, you have all my paperwork. It was a Bible school when I did it. Now it's a Bible college, same teachers, same curriculum, same books. Can you please transfer my credits? No. I waited for another director. I'm already out here pastoring the church. I'm already out here. I've been pastoring, I think, uh, probably 15 years here in Colorado, and uh, maybe even 16 years in the last couple years. Uh, I get a call from the director. He says, hey, Ed, I'm going through, and, and I know him, and I'm going through the paperwork, and I see that you only need a couple classes to finish. And I said, yeah, but you know, the previous director said they weren't gonna transfer it, and I just kind of gave it up, and he says, well, do you wanna finish Bible college? And I said, yeah, I'm just a couple classes away from my associate's degree. <laughs> of course I want to finish. And he says, okay, do this work. And, and he gave me some assignments and, and I got them turned in. And there's a beautiful white piece of paper hanging on my wall that says I'm an educated pastor now. So I said, yes. Why are you guys laughing at me? We don't need that. We do need to study to show ourselves approved, but a degree isn't conferred. You know, a person isn't a pastor because a degree is conferred. A person is a pastor leader because of God's anointing and hand upon their lives. It's his work. 
God uses ordinary people. He uses people that, well, that surrender their lives to him and live for him. You might compare yourself to Elijah as we study him and, and be discouraged. I'll never be like Elijah. You already are. I'll never measure up. You already do. He's a man just like you. A man just like me. Maybe you're not comparing yourself to Elijah, but you're comparing yourself to your sister or your brother. Or you might look at how far your father went and, and you just didn't go. You just weren't cut off that cloth like your dad. Your dad was so good at this, but you weren't. And you went in a different direction. And, and yet it now, it, instead of just being satisfied with what God's doing, you kind of get discouraged when you compare yourself with someone else. Well, you know, the Bible actually says that it's not wise to compare ourselves with someone else because you're unique and God's doing something unique in you. And, and God has gifted you, and you have an upbringing and where you came, God's will in your life. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that they, measuring themselves by themselves, comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. Elijah's just like you, just like me. And he comes at just the right time with great courage and boldness. And, and believe me, as you study as your li- his life, he's going to need boldness, and he's going to need courage. So if you're taking notes, let's jot a few things down about Elijah. I want you to remember as we study through the various parts of his life, just a few things that we want to look at. Number one, Elijah knew God personally. Even in the old covenant, he had a relationship with God. He knew him personally. He says back in verse one, as the Lord God of Israel lives, he describes God in life. God is alive and active. He served a living God, not a dead God like Baal. Not a dead God like Asherah, just idols made of wood and perversity. And like Job, he could say with confidence, because Job had the same relationship. In Job 19, verse 25, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. He had a relationship. He knew God. Number two, Elijah was a man of prayer. And isn't that a revival in our church? More and more I'm watching this with my own eyes. Seeing prayer. Hearing prayer. Stopping to pray. Taking things to the Lord in prayer. Developing lives of prayer. Asking God for things in prayer. Taking people to God in prayer. Laying our lives down in prayer. And and let me show you. Turn over to James chapter 5. And I'm praying that you continue to catch the vision. I was just reading in my devotions this morning in Isaiah. Where in Isaiah it speaks of the house of the Lord being a house of prayer. It's where Jesus quoted when he came in. And he said, he quoted Isaiah and he said, my house should be called a house of prayer. And I don't think it's just the building, although it was referring to the temple, but it's the life of prayer. That that we are to be known for prayer. That we are to be talking to God, walking with God. Elijah prayed. Notice in chapter 5 of James, in verse 17, It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it didn't rain on the land three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. He was a praying man 
earnestly, earnestly. He was a man of prayer, earnestly. The earnest prayer is prayer that is glowing hot. That's where the original word comes from. It's a prayer of energy, working, active, operative. Aren't you glad that James doesn't say in verse 17, Elijah was a superman of great faith because then we couldn't relate to him. The Bible doesn't say that Elijah was a special man that you will never be, but study him because you might be stumbling like him one day. He says, no, man, you, you know, by the time James is written, Elijah's life has come and gone. He's in the presence of the Lord. So when James is writing, he says, you know what? Inspired by the Holy Spirit, Elijah, you know, oh yeah, Elijah called down fire, made it rain, called and stopped the rain. He was with Ahab, looked him in the face. I mean, that man was just like you. That's what James says. He's just like us. And what made him special and what made him strong was God. It was the God of Elijah. He was just a frail human man like us. Just like Paul would tell the Corinthians, you know your calling, he says, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. Not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. It's, as you hang around this particular fellowship, but I, I believe it's true in churches all throughout our city, as you get to know people, you, you probably become shocked that God's using them as you get to know them and you get to know their background. I mean, that's why the Bible says don't be hypercritical and hyperjudgmental when you meet people. Because you, you have these stereotypes, you have these predictions of who are the people that God uses, which, which also kind of makes you surprised that God uses you with your background. That's crazy. And, and yet, at the same time, you, 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 you look at someone who I can't believe God uses them, and then you use the same thing but opposite on you. God can never use me. But neither are true. God uses all of us. We're, we're not, many of us are not wise. Some of us are. It doesn't say not any, it just says not many. And so some of you are so well educated. You know, you, you, you're listening to me on how many years it took me to get an associate's and you're a modic. You know how long it took me to get my degree, man? You know how long I had to study? Yeah, you worked hard. It doesn't say not any. Some of you have incredible intelligence and you do amazing things because of how God created you. That's where God wants to use you. But not many. Not many. Not many of us. It's true in Corinth and it's true in the northern kingdom of Israel and it's true today. Elijah was a Tishbite, a rugged, rough dude. Grew up in a rugged area. And yet God used him and called him. Now, we study this in depth in James, so I'm not going to go into it. You can listen to the Bible study on the app or online. But let me give you four things of fervent prayer, earnest prayer. You know, if you want to look at earnest prayer and you want to go, man, what is it then? What what can I add to my prayer life? How can I just, what is it about earnest or fervent or prayer with energy? Well, here's some help in your prayer life if you're struggling and extending your prayer life. Number one, pray the promises of God. Open the Bible and start praying the promises of God. Basically, just pray through the scriptures. Like, for example, how would you do this with James 5? Well, in James 5, 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. You know, God, thank you for reminding me that you used people like Elijah and he was just like me. And then begin to talk to God. And you know who I am, Lord. You know what I'm struggling with. You know what I woke up with. God, would you forgive me? 
Would you, would you, Elijah just reminds me, man, you used him such great ways. I want to be used like that, God. He's just praying through the scriptures. That's all it says. Elijah was a man like you. And then you, and he prayed earnestly. Well, Lord, you know I've been wanting to pray more. I'm praying to you right now, God. I used to, you know, I'm, I'm on my way to, uh, to work on I-25 and I used to just turn on talk radio. But now, God, you see my heart is for you and you're just talking and earnestly and just giving yourself praying through. The, now, it would be hard to pray through the scriptures while you're driving. Uh, so I'm not advocating that. Um, but maybe you could put a little... Um, three by five card there or you can have an audio bible play it stop it play it and stop it with your uh, there's different ways that you can pray through the scriptures number two pray specifically be very precise in asking god god would you please save the world because your bible says that you so love the world and and that's a great prayer but man if you want to zero in on laser pray god would you please save my mom You know the hurt that she carries and you know the pain that she's been through and you know the anger that she is feeling. Would you you do a work in my mom's heart? Would you use me to do a work in my mom's heart? And you begin to pray specifically and then you begin to look for specific answers and you begin to see, man, mom was soft that day. And you begin to thank God, man, usually mom, man, she throws a pan at me, but this time she didn't throw a pan at me. She hugged me. You know, it's like, whoa, mom, are you all? No, no, no. Why am I saying that, God? I've been praying for this. And the Lord encourages you. Start praying for your boss, praying for your professor, praying for specific. God, I need X, Y, Z, and 30 cents. I need that amount, God. I need that amount. You said, according to your word, you provide for all of my need, and this is what I need, Lord. And begin to pray specifically. Thirdly, pray earnestly. And that reminds me of uh, in Luke chapter 18, in verse 1, where it says we, we, uh, it says we ought, of, ought always to pray and not lose heart. And just earnestly, on fire. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be crazy. And, uh, I mean, some of you tonight in your prayer groups were praying earnestly. It may not come out emotionally. You may not have fire coming out of your ears. That's not, that's not the point. You're, man, this prayer, you, some of you prayed a prayer that you've been praying for years tonight. That's earnestly. Same prayer. But you're not quitting because you trust God. And waiting on him to answer is driving you closer to him. Number four, pray persistently. And they, it goes together with earnestly. You pray persistently. The idea of not quitting, the idea of steadying on, the idea of trusting God, the idea of faith being built. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Prayer is a release of that unto the Lord. As we were reading in our devos with our staff this morning, in James chapter one, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally, without reproach, without showing partiality, without, everybody can ask, every believer can ask God for wisdom and every believer will receive it. That's what James is saying. Listen closely as we wind down. Mark this. Don't forget this. You'll see it personally. You'll see it in your family. And we have definitely seen it in our church over the last year. Mark this. You ready? Write it down. Write it on your hand. Write it on your neighbor's forehead, whatever you got to do, write this down. Don't forget this. You'll forget it, but God will remind you. And I quote, whenever you seek to pray, there will always be resistance. 
Whenever you want to pray, there's always going to be a fight, a battle, a wrestling over your prayer time. Seeking to pray effectively won't be easy, and it won't be without tension and resistance. All kinds of spiritual warfare is unleashed on the person who sets their hearts towards seeking the will of God on earth. All sorts of spiritual warfare, weird, wicked, crazy thoughts. A phone rings and you don't even have a phone. You're like, what's going on? You live in an apartment and you begin to pray and there's this crazy thing happening in the apartment next to you. You thought the walls were thick enough. They're not. You begin to pray and doubts come in. You begin to pray and you lose heart. You begin to pray and you condemn yourself. You begin to pray. I mean, you have to understand, we pray. One of the prayer points was that adversary, the devils, roaming about, looking whom he may devour. And some of the people he's looking for are prayers. Prayers, P-R-A-Y, with a dash, E-R-S. <laughs> prayers, people, men and women that seek to pray. And even as in our own fellowship, as we've turned a corner in our church and emphasized prayer, there's been a lot of resistance, a lot of warfare, a lot of craziness. I haven't, as a pastor and as, as a, a shepherd, I haven't regretted the work of God in prayer. I haven't regretted it. But I've been tired. It's exhausting. It's exhausting, but with prayer, things get surfaced. With prayer, things get answered. With prayer, God begins to work spiritually in a powerful way. Prayer, prayer, pray earnestly. A great and effective door is open for me, Paul, but there are many adversaries. Or the New Living Translation says, there are many who oppose me. You begin to pray, there will be many that oppose you. And you just gotta press on press on. What's the effective way to handle opposition? More prayer. Not less. More prayer. You know, when you're praying, you're usually, you're usually in a place drawing near to God, not away from God. You're usually not praying on your way to a party. Lord, I hope when I get drunk tonight and I get really crazy that I don't get really crazy. You're usually not praying like that. You're usually praying, you know, Lord, thank you for the strength to say no to that invitation. And I just pray for my friend that he'll come to his senses and he'll make it home safe tonight and he won't drive drunk and kill someone on his way home. Lord, would you please be with them because my, heart is, my heart's broken over this. Prayer puts you in the right place and you can always pray at the right time. Okay, a couple more things with Elijah and then we're done. Number three, number three. We already saw in Elijah's life, number one, he knew God. Number two, he was a man of prayer. Number three, Elijah faithfully delivered the message. <laughs> he was faithful to deliver his message. We're going to learn in Elijah's life that when God gave him a difficult message to deliver, he did it. He comes right here in, in the beginning of 1 Kings and he says, you know, it's not going to rain. It's going to be really hard for a few years. God's judgment's coming upon you. It's going to get hard in your apostate, rebellious, pagan kingdom, Ahab. And it wasn't an easy message to deliver. It could have been off with his head right there. But he did it. How many times have you been brought to a place where you had to deliver a hard message and you didn't? Well, 
The answer to that is repent because God's gonna give you another chance. And if God gives you a hard message, deliver it in love. But follow Elijah's example. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. We tell the truth to our friends. Listen, write this down. We tell the truth to our friends and we lie to our enemies. We tell the truth to the ones that we love and we lie as a sign that we don't love. Now that's heavy. That just got the room really heavy. But it's a revelation of our heart, isn't it? As believers, we need to speak the truth. God's spirit of truth lives in us. To not speak the truth is to not live according to the spirit, but according to the flesh. Number four, Elijah was a man of faith and obedience. We can be men and women of faith and obedience too. We're going to learn from his life the tremendous trust that he had in God. And it was only bolstered by his obedience. It it was, you know, our, our faith and trust in God is undermined by disobedience. But when we obey, no matter the price, no matter the cost, we are bolstered in our relationship with the Lord. We become stronger. And we know that confronting someone and talking to someone about something difficult isn't easy. How do you think, you know, if you can't talk to a friend about something hard, how do you think it would be to be given a message to the king of the nation? I mean, already we're going to be all nervous. I mean, if you and I were given an invitation to the White House we would be nervous. I know right now some of you, I would not be nervous. You'd be nervous. You got guys up on the roof with sniper rifles and the secret service and all of it, man. You just, and stuff you've never seen before. And you're walking in and you're like, whoa, where am I going? And they got you all the way. And you, you'd be nervous. Your heart, and, and you would probably try to put on face, I'm all right. But if we did your heart thing, like your heart would be, whoa, man, I can't believe I'm here. But imagine, that's just to see the Oval Office. Nobody's even in there. And then on the way, as you're walking through the West Wing or whatever, on the way, God says, I've got a message for you to give to the president. Tell him his days are numbered. Oh, yeah, how are you feeling now? I don't care what president it is. This Bible study will, will be through many presidencies, so there's no president in mind right now. But can you imagine telling the president, you know what, your days are numbered and you're... I mean, you're just like, I don't know, I don't know. I just want to see, I just, just want him to take a picture with me. That's all I want, man. <laughs> it's hard enough just to take a picture. Elijah, I mean, to the best of our ability, he's standing before the most wicked king to date to speak on behalf of God. That's the key, on behalf of God. And he tells him with faith and obedience. And even then, as soon as he did it, and as there was victory over the, as we'll see, victory over the prophets of Baal, he runs away and lives in obscurity. I mean, he's, he's a man that was a man of faith and obedience, and even then, his faith and obedience was undermined by his emotions, and we'll get to that. It's going to be a real cool, exciting study. Uh, we're, we're not going to, I haven't planned on going too slow in Elijah, uh, in, in the next few chapters of Kings, I, I don't know how fast we'll go. We'll just let the Spirit of God help us. We might pause and emphasize certain things, or we might go through chapter by chapter, but the, the Lord knows what we need to learn from the life of Elijah. 
But I'll say this for those listening in. Knowing God is very important. Knowing God is very important. You were created to know God. You were created to have a relationship with him. You were created in God's image. And yet by sin, so many are separated from God. Living lives independent of their creator. Every one of us have sinned against God. Every single one of us. And broken his commandments time and time again. But God loved us so much and demonstrated that love by sending his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us, for your sin and mine. They took him down off that cross and they buried him and they placed him in a tomb. And three days later he rose again and he's alive today. The very reason we can study Elijah is because of the work and finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And today the Lord's saying, today's the Lord's saying, He does this to a church. He does this illustration to a church. He tells a church this. I stand at the door and knock. And if you'll open, I'll come in. I stand at the door and knock. He says, church, if you really want to be serious, then let me in. Let me into your life. Let me into your thoughts. But even more so, there's an illustration here. There's an illustration here like your heart, who you are. God says, I'm standing at the door of your heart and I'm knocking. Let me in. No more lives of independence. He said, let me forgive you of your sins. Let me transform your life. Allow me in. God will not force himself upon you. He won't force you to do something that you refuse, that you resist. As you resist his grace, just like the children of Israel did when Jesus came, he looked over the city and he spoke of their resistance to him. Ultimately, resistance led to their rejection of him. And ultimately, their rejection of him would lead many to live apart from him for all of eternity like to live a life separate from God. And you might say today, well, Ed, you know, I'll take my chances, Pastor. I'll take my chances. Well, you don't need to even think of it that way. You don't need to take your chances. I'll tell you what your chances are. You have zero chance of living in the presence of God the rest of your life apart from Jesus Christ. Zero chance. You don't even need to say, I'll take my chances, as if if there's some small way that you might find yourself in a right relationship with God after living a life of rejecting him. But there's a 100% chance. There's a 100% chance of you living with God forever and experience the forgiveness of your sins even right now if you will repent and you will surrender to him today. Knocking on the door. Jesus says, let me in. And so, Father, as we close our time today and consider the reality of eternity, the reality of the issues of our lives, Elijah, Lord, he inspires me. He stirs me to love and good works. He, I don't know, I don't have another word, Lord. He just is an inspiring man to me, both his ups and his downs. And there's that sense where I could probably relate to his downs recently more than his ups. And you still love him. 
and you still care for him and still use him. And I just pray, God, as your spirit is moving among us right now, that those who need to receive you would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today, that they would believe in their hearts and confess with their mouths today in this place. And I would say, if that's you, before we leave, if you need to give your life to Jesus Christ, would you just stand to your feet? I want to pray with you that today would be the day we've, we have prayed for you. We've asked God to bring you. We've asked God for you to hear this message. We've asked God to, to bring you to a place of decision. And now here you are right now. This is the place. If you're here today, you'd say, Ed, that's me. I need my life. I need, my, I, need, I need my life turned around by God. I want to I turn my life around toward God. Then would you just stand up and want to pray with you? I actually want to lead you in a prayer. That today would be the day. No more battles. You know, it's always a sweet time because Wednesday night I got saved. A Wednesday night. Thinking, what in the world am I doing in church on Wednesday night? Well, now I know. It was an appointment with God. He wanted to save me. God bless you. Today's the day. I know the appointment. I didn't know it then. I know it now. Seen it time and time again, God speaking to hearts, drawing people to himself. It's the only way you could even respond as if God would draw you. That's what the Bible says. Who else would say, that's me? I really sense there's, there's another person here today. Today's the day. There's more than one. God bless you guys. God bless you. Today's a day. If you guys want to open your eyes as they're praying and just look on this side over here, there's, if you guys want to get up and lay hands on this young lady, you guys right here, you come up and lay hands on this family right here. You guys come up too. You guys can get up and come over and rally around. You guys are the prayer partners tonight. You're the ones that are going to get, some of, some, one of you in the group is going to get a uh, packet for them and talk to them about it. And maybe you're not in this room right now. You're on the radio, on the internet. And, and we don't see you, but God sees you. That's how important you are. That is, that is the work of God in your life right now. That's what you're feeling and experiencing. And so just ask God right now. You could say, God, forgive me of my sins. I want to live with you forever. I believe you created me to have a relationship with you. And Jesus, you live for me. You died for me. And you rose again the third day to forgive me of my sins. And I dedicate my life to following you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.